Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. But here we are. Listen, I've got miles to go uh, before we get done. So I'm just going to jump right in with a quick prayer. Uh, You're going to want to take notes today. I hope you would take notes today. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can do it there. Uh, If you want to write your notes down, you can do it there. But you're going to want to take notes. Um, I'm not going to do a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching uh, over these next couple weeks. And hopefully you'll be helped and empowered by it. Father, we pray now that you prepare our hearts to receive the word and that we would be transformed by it. And that we would never be the same again because we have set under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If I were to sit across the table from one of you and uh, share a coffee uh, or some other wonderful beverage... Uh, <laughs> uh, I believe uh, and that if I asked you, if I asked you, uh, what is the one thing, what is the one thing, the one thing around saving money that you desire most? What is the one thing around saving money that you desire most? I believe the answer overwhelmingly would be the ability, the capacity, the freedom, the freedom to be able to save and invest for your financial future without fear of not having enough in your financial present. I believe that would be an overwhelming answer. We want to save all that we can. We want to save all that we can. In fact, we can say it this way, that we want to be free. We want to be free to save for the future without fear of lack in the present. And given that nearly 70% of Americans feel that they are not prepared to retire, that they won't have enough to retire, and another 60% of Americans fear that they won't have enough for the rest of the week, I kind of believe this is without argument. It stands to reason that there's little argument here. We want to be free to save for our future. And yet many of us feel what we feel financially stuck. Maybe we've had uh, a couple of books on financial training. Maybe we've listened to some experts, but it didn't kind of shake out exactly how we thought it would, or or we followed some advice that we found on a blog post or a website. Maybe we've kind of tried to do the work, and, and, and nothing seemed to work. In fact, you might even feel today a little worn down to the point where you just want to give up. I've been there before. In fact, you may even be quietly wondering to yourself, you're talking about saving all I can. Where's all of this extra money going to come from? Right? We think those things. We don't just have hidden money sitting around. And so the idea of saving probably feels far-fetched when you're just trying to survive. And with nearly half the country, yes, half the country, having less than $1,000 in their savings account, and 60-plus percent of U.S. adults living paycheck to paycheck. You need to hear this. These people living paycheck to paycheck, and it's not limited to a tax bracket. 
In fact, four out of 10, what would be considered in the U.S., high-income earners are living paycheck to paycheck. Completely in a position to be destitute were they to miss one single check. Then it stands to reason that if you are feeling stuck, you are not alone. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, consider this. Consider this. And this is going to be hard to hear. But saving all that you can actually begins with reducing what you spend. Saving all that you can actually begins with reducing what you spend. Reducing what you spend will in turn provide more available income. Now, most of us think that our money challenges, right, and and the solution to them is to have more money, right? We think that our money issue is a result of just not having enough income. And indeed, that is the case for a minority of folks. And when I say minority, I mean 10%, 10%. 90% of us, 90% of us in the West could save more and feel wealthier without earning another single penny more than we earn right now. Having more money is not the solution and not having enough money is not our primary hurdle. So what is it? What is it? Well, it starts, it starts with the hidden experiment that we were all invited into unwillingly, okay? And I want to remind you of a couple of quotes that you may recall from our sermon on simplicity. One Wall Street banker in the early 20th century said this, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained, did you hear that word? Trained to desire, to want new things even before the old things have completely worn out. This came out of the mouth of a banker. Now, I know, listen, I'm going to say this now once and I won't say it again. I know you think you're autonomous. I know you think you're kind of doing your own thing. No, you are a part of an experiment that was planned for your life that we are playing into. In fact, E.S. Codrick, E.S. Codrick, a pioneer in industrial relations, called this plan the new economic gospel of consumption. So whether you want to own this or not, and I hope you would, a group of men in the early 20th century got together in a room and decided how your grandparents and your parents and you and eventually your children, if you don't break the cycle, will use money in this country and leave you trapped in a situation that you don't feel like you can get out of. So what is the issue? The issue is our participation in the hidden experiment of the consumer economy. That is our primary issue. Our our economy is literally called the consumer economy. Our economy in this nation is literally built on you spending more than you have. Pay attention, guys. Stay woke. They be creeping. Okay? That's primary. That's primary. Add to that a lack of financial education, right? Right? The school system is not preparing us financially. Now, no shade to math instructors out there, but I don't care about the Pythagorean theorem. I need to understand compound interest. Okay? I need to understand compound interest. I need to understand that when I buy money on credit, that it's going to cost me a certain amount of money, even at a good percentage rate. 
Listen, at 3.5%, if you buy a $400,000 house, you're going to pay $600,000 for that house. Somebody needs to teach us that. We have a wholesale lack of financial education. And then, of course, we have this constant temptation to spend all we have. So when you combine, when you combine a strategic plan to turn our economy into a consumer economy, a constant temptation to spend everything that we bring into the house, and a wholesale lack of financial education, what do you have? You have the perfect storm. You have the perfect storm that has put so many of us in the position in which we find ourselves. And so we spend 100% or more of what we earn. Last year, Americans spent 105% of what they earned. We spent 100% or more of what we earn, and we've been trained to do so, encouraged to do so, enticed to do so, staggeringly. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but as I think about it, it triggered me a little bit. It made me feel all of those feelings, again, of, of feeling financially stuck. It reminded me of the times that I felt like there was no way out and that I couldn't change and it was going to be this way forever, forever and ever. And all of this, listen, let me say it in case you're thinking it already, all of this is wrong. The fact that a group of men got together and decided to change our economy to empty your pockets is wrong. The fact that we feel enticed and trained and drawn into spending everything that we have is wrong. The fact that we have no or little financial education to face a world that is built on money markets is wrong. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You see, every one of us should be able to invest in our financial future. And my hopes is to help you do that today. Now, as I said last time we were together, I'll say it again, Brianna, and I understand. So this is not ivory tower coming down. This is a person that has walked this path. And we understand. In fact, last time we were together, I shared a, a, a situation that we were in, and I'm going to share another one with you today in hopes that my honesty will help you be honest. And that sharing in my struggles will help you be empowered to be honest about your own. You see, there was a time in our life that we wanted to save, but we always felt trapped. We always felt trapped. We always felt like we, like we couldn't move forward. We always felt like we were in crisis mode because we were living, listen, we were living beyond our means. We were living beyond our means. And eventually, after living be at or beyond our means, we found ourselves at one of several very painful crossroads where I had to make a difficult decision in order to take care of my family. And in fact, this box is a part of that difficult crossroads. You see, this box is couture. Y'all zoom in on that. Couture, glass top, made by my lovely wife and my eldest daughter. I told her this morning, you made me this when I was still your hero. And she goes, Dodd, be serious. Right? So I guess that means I'm still her hero. Um, they made me this box so that I could display some of my most precious belongings, which are championship rings from when I was at Oklahoma University. So if you ever wondered if I was good, here's my proof, okay? <laughs> I've got a few. Matter of fact, let's go Michael Jordan on this thing real quick. I got some, I got some extra time. I got some, I got some extra time here. Let's just, let's, just bless, let's, just, let's just bless all the fingers. Let's just, you know what I'm saying? Let me put one more. Your boy did all right, you know. We did all right. So, but here's the thing. 
Here's the thing as I place my rings gently back into their box. When faced again with a financial situation that I couldn't get myself out of, and if you weren't here last time, then you can go back and listen online and, and get a little context for the story that I'm sharing. But uh, to face another challenging situation in which I put my family, that's the first part. I put my family, I did it. In order to feed my family, I had to pawn these rings. In fact, I went down to a pawn shop on DeKalb Avenue in downtown Atlanta. And I walked in and I told the man there that, uh, that I needed to pawn these rings. And when the owner looked at the rings, I saw his heartbreak. I saw his heartbreak. That I had put myself in this position. You know, you get an image of a pawn shop owner that you think they're going to be sleazy. No, this is a compassionate man. And I saw his heartbreak, and his heartbreak only increased my sorrow. In fact, he tried to negotiate with me. He said, do you have anything else of value? Anything besides these that you worked so hard to earn? And I said, no, these are the most precious things I have. I tried to pawn my wedding ring, but it wasn't a lot of value to it. That's a true story. You want to talk about desperation. And I wasn't going to pawn my wife's wedding ring because, you know, dumb ways to die. Right? As I just, you know. You got to make the right choice. <laughs> I left that pawn shop with enough money to cover my needs for that week. But my spirit was crushed. My spirit was crushed. And coming home and telling my wife what I did, her spirit was crushed. Well, several months went by. And things started to turn for us just a little bit. They did. I had begun to get a financial education. I cannot stress this enough. I had begun to get a financial education that had trained me to make better decisions. And I had gotten my weight up a little bit. And so I went back to the pawn shop. And, and when I walked in, I expected very little. Like maybe I'll get one of these rings back. And I opened up the door and he's right there and he is elated. And he roars, roars, all these other people in the pawn shop. And he roars, I knew you would come back. <laughs> and then he runs to the back of the store. And I'm like, what? what's going on? Well, this man, for the better part of six months, had kept my rings in his personal safe. so that not even one of his employees might sell them on accident. And when I paid him for him, he had a legit tear in his eye, so I, you know, you haven't lived until you cried with a stranger. <laughs> and I took those rings home, and, it, and it, was a, it was an incredible victory for us. Now, a lot of times, people like me will sit on the stage and tell you where they won, and it's like, and then I never got, got it wrong again. Well, this is not that church. <laughs> did, I, did I go forward not making any more foolish financial decisions? No. No. In fact, I made several more, but they were never as bad as that one. No. I got better. I got better, and I kept getting better. Biblical principles and financial education turned the tide for my family, and it set us free financially. But here's the deal. We had to first admit something that nobody wants to admit. We were bad with money. We were bad with money. 
We were uneducated with money. We had the basic American mentality that as long as I have a job and my bank account is relatively stable at the end of the month, I should be able to buy what I want when I want. And soon those things catch up and they snowball. And so today my invitation to you is to admit, admit maybe that you too are bad with money so that you can actually get better. Because I would love to tell you, and, and I, no, I can preach the house down, and I can get up here, and we can get on that organ. Jason's here. He can get on that organ, and I can tell you, God will supply <laughs> all your needs, right? And we'll shout, and we'll feel real good, and we'll go home and make the same foolish mistakes. <laughs> and so here's what I want to tell you today. God will supply what we need for our future. But we must be wise with what he supplies. We must be wise with what he supplies. Because God, unlike us, is not going to put money in a bucket with a hole in it. And so eventually, poor stewardship will lend itself to no resources. But if you want God to supply your every need, and he will, he promises he will. I could tell you all kind of miracles. Checks showing up from speaking engagements I did five years before. I didn't think them people was going to pay me. And it just showed up in the mail randomly one day. God will supply all your needs. But you've got to be wise with what he supplies. Solomon, known widely as the wisest man to ever live, except apparently when it came to relationships. Um, I mean, I'm serious, man. One wife is <laughs> <it's> enough. <laughs> it's plenty to manage emotionally and in the fear and reverence that it deserves. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, he had like a couple hundred wives and 700 concubines. And I'm like, bro, like, what'd you do with your free time? Um, he wrote this in Proverbs 21, 20. We're going to read it in four versions so that the nail pierces deep into our hearts. Wise people store up the best food and olive oil, but foolish people eat up everything they have. There is precious treasure and oil in the house of the wise who prepare for the future. But a short-sighted and foolish man swallows it up and wastes it. Wise people live in wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Here's a freebie today. There's only three types of people in the world. The Bible teaches us this, especially Proverbs. There's only three types of people, wise, foolish, and evil. Okay, if you follow the way of Jesus, then hopefully you're not evil. And so the question before us today, the question before us today is, do we want to be wise or do we want to be foolish? Do we want to be wise or do we want to be foolish? The plainness of Solomon's words doesn't require a lot of exposition. I don't need to do any Hebrew exegesis to tell you that stupid means stupid and foolish means foolish. He's very, very clear. Now, what this is not, what this is not is, is an oversimplified statement, be good and God will make you rich. That's not what he's saying. Instead, what he maintains is that diligence and restraint characterizes the wise. And that diligence and that restraint naturally allow them to accumulate more resources. Lack of restraint, on the other hand, lack of restraint brings about continued consumption on the part of fools. And in turn, disallows them to maintain anything. And so the question again is, do you want to be wise or do you want to be foolish? Do you want to live paycheck to paycheck 
in constant anxiety, one catastrophe away from financial ruin? Or do you want to live in a way where you can have the peace of God while investing in your financial future without fear of lack in the present? If you want to be wise, if you want to be wise, I've got six things. I'm going to try to get through them relatively quickly. I've got six things that you must prioritize, and they come from this fantastic book called Simple Money, Rich Life. If you cannot afford the book, I will buy it for you, and I mean that. I will invest in your financial future. That's how important this is to me. So if you can't buy it, I will buy it. Write this down. Isabella, I-S-A-B-E-L-L-A, Isabella at renovationchurch.com. That's my assistant. If you email her because you can't afford this book, I will buy it. Okay, I mean that. That's how important this is. Now, these six things. We're going to start with the most important one, in my opinion, and that is the never 100 rule. The never 100 rule. Never spend 100% of your earnings. Let me come on over here and say it again. Never spend 100% of your earnings. 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 Never spend 100% of your earnings, okay? That's rule number one. If you get this one, if you just get this one, you will put yourself miles ahead. It will change your financial future. The reason that we must get this one is because it speaks directly to our belief that if we had more money, we would have less problems. When did he told us? More money, more problems, right? If you didn't get that, Expand your friend circle, okay? That's going to be on a T-shirt. The front going to say, y'all ain't reading y'all Bible, hashtag Y-A-R-B. And on the back, it's going to say, expand your friend circle. Count on you. All right. That's what we assume, though, right? That if we had more money, we'd have fewer problems. But the reality is, if you can't control yourself with $30,000, you're not going to control yourself with $30 million. Or 430 million. Where did that number come from? That's how much money Mike Tyson made in his lifetime, in his career. Now, I stress it a little bit. To be precise, he made 400, 423 million dollars. And he spent every penny. In 2003, he filed for bankruptcy. You got to be thinking like I'm thinking. How could you spend $423 million in a lifetime, let alone 20 years? But he did it. He did it. Tigers are expensive. $423 million. Now, it would be easy for you to dismiss this as an anomaly. It would be very easy for you to dismiss this as an anomaly, but let me give you a couple other things to consider, okay? NBA players, on average, earn $7.5 million annually. The average NFL salary is $2.7 million. I keep telling my son, right? Soccer. <laughs> Baseball. Basketball. Coaching. <laughs> golf. Football, all right? Don't do what I did, all right? Don't do what I did. Ask my knees and my shoulders, right? But here's what's sad, guys. Here's what's sad. 
According to CNBC, about 60% of NBA players go broke five years after exiting the game. 60%. 78% of NFL players either file for bankruptcy or find themselves under significant financial duress, significant financial duress, just two years after retirement. How could this be? How could this be? Again, most of us believe if we had more money, we would have fewer problems, but that is not reality. If you can't control yourself at this tax bracket, you're not going to control yourself at this tax bracket. It's not about what you have. It's about how you use what you have. It's about how you use what you have. Compare that to a man named Ronald whose story gets shared in this book, Simple Money, Rich Life. Ronald was a janitor a janitor and a gas station attendant for his entire life. He never had a significant income, but he also never spent 100% of what he earned. And over his 92 years of life, he avoided experiencing the anxiety that NFL and NBA players experienced who made 10 to 100 times more than Ronald did. And over the course of his life, Ronald amassed $8 million. $8 million, most of which he gave away, sermon to come. Eight million dollars. He saved and he invested instead of devouring everything he earned, and he died as a millionaire janitor. Janitor. And he died a multimillionaire. It's not about how much you make, it's about how you use what you make. It's about how you use what you make. And the reality is this, and I need you to hear me say this, that if you make $30,000 a year and own a car or a bike, you are more wealthy than three-quarters of the world. Three-quarters. Not one-half, not two-fifths, not one-eighth. 75% of the world, if you own a bike and make 30 bands a year, 75% of the world is in greater poverty than you are. It's not about how much we make. It's about how we use what we make. We need to spend differently to save wisely. Okay, that's the long one. Number two, keep score. Keep score. Pay attention to your spending. Pay attention to your spending. Keep an accurate account of what you're spending. Stop being afraid to look at your bank statement. Okay? You wouldn't be afraid if you're making better choices, but since you're making bad choices, you got to go ahead and look. Okay? Proverbs tells us, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? That's free game. Now, I know we are not all into urban agriculture, except for Dr. Crowley, but you can make the leap. Back then, flocks and herds were cash. And so what the writer of Proverbs is saying is you need to know what's coming in and what's going out. You need to know how much you actually have. You need to know what is happening in your finances instead of just letting your finances happen to you. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. Financial success, no matter how you define it, requires that we pay attention to what is coming in and going out. If you want to quickly spend less money, as quick as you can, write down everything you spend. It is a te- Listen, my wife will tell you, I used to have a black paper ledger. And there were multiple times when she was like, you want to go out to eat? And I'm like, nah, I don't feel like writing it down. Pour me a bowl of cereal. <laughs> I'm good. You remember that? 
I'm like, no, I don't feel like doing it. Write down everything you spend. In fact, and this is going to sound crazy because it's so simple, but people have cut their spending by as much as 50% just by writing down what they're spending. A $4 or $6 macchiato doesn't seem a lot, but five days a week, five days a week, guess what? That's $130, $140 a month, which is almost $1,500 a year. If you don't keep track of it, then you don't know what's happening, okay? Pay attention to what you spend if you want to save for your future. Number three, know your AUM. Know your AUM. In his book, Simple Money, Rich Life, the author writes that when it comes to money, we are often measuring the wrong thing to know if we're doing okay. We measure how much money we have left in the checking account at the end of the month or how much debt we have on a credit card or, 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 or how much we might have in savings, but those are not the right things to be measuring. That, that they're not important, but they're not the right thing. For financial progress, he proposes that we measure something called AUM, which means assets under management. Assets under management. All right, that's how you know how much you actually have. Because you might make $150,000 a year, right? But if you've bought a half a million dollar house and that house is only worth $505,000 and you only actually have $5,000, plus whatever money you might make that year, okay? That's the value. Now, let's say the market does well, okay? You bought it for 500, now it's worth 750 because you moved out of Reynoldstown or, or East Atlanta Village. Well, now you have $250,000 of equity in that house, but how much are your student loans, okay? How much are your monthly expenses? How much is your credit card debt? How much is your car loan? That's how, how you know how much you actually have. Okay, and so the way that you get your AUM is add up all of your assets, your house, your car, uh, your retirement account if you have one, your savings account if you have one, okay? Notice I didn't say your checking account. It's not an asset. It's a thoroughfare, okay? <laughs> add up all of your assets if you have any, you know, wonderful heirlooms, like multiple championship rings, SEC what? So, Big 12, baby. Um, add up all your assets, and then go through and add up your liabilities or your debts, okay? Your mortgage. Listen, your mortgage is a debt. Your mortgage is a debt. Now, your mortgage, we're going to talk about good debt and bad debt in here in a minute, but your mortgage is a debt. Add up all your liabilities, student loan, cars, mortgage, credit cards, anything you owe anybody, add it all up, and the number between the two of them, those are your actual assets under management. Don't be discouraged if it's negative. For most of us, it's going to be negative. But treat it like it is. Listen, it's the beginning of a testimony, okay? It's the beginning of a breakthrough. It's the beginning of a turn in your financial future and your financial story. Don't get discouraged by it. See for what it is and then make goals and move forward. Now, we don't have time to drill down into that, but they're going to drill down to it at the financial conference, which is why you need to be there. There's my plug. Number four, automate and adjust. Automate and adjust. Financially successful people understand that it's not about willpower. It's about ensuring critical financial decisions are either automated or as simple as possible. In other words, when at all possible, whether it is using your bank's system to automatically pay your bills on time or bringing your first and your best to the Lord in your tithes and offerings, automate it so that you don't have to depend on willpower to make the wise decision. 
automated so that you don't have to depend on willpower to make the wise decision. Not only should you and I automate whenever possible, but we need to learn to adjust as well. Here's what I mean. We're great at adjusting up when we get some extra money. Okay, here's something else you're going to hear at the financial conference, but I'm going to say it right now. There is no such thing as extra money. Okay? In a financially wise house, every dollar has an assignment. Whether that assignment is to go into a retirement account, or that assignment is to go into an account for your children, or that assignment is to go into the savings account, or that assignment is to eliminate debt, every dollar has an assignment. You don't have extra money. You need to say that to yourself. You get a bonus, it's not extra. What's the assignment? Make sure your money understands the assignment. Okay? Every dollar has an assignment. But what do we do? We make a little more, a, a little more we up. We up our living expenses to match our new income. But when our income decreases, rarely do we adjust down to match our reality. We need to learn to adjust. We need to learn to adjust. And that may mean minimizing expenses when we have a decrease in income or when we have a plan to dig ourselves out of debt. In fact, food is the place you're going to catch the most money. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Food is the place you're going to catch the most money. So minimize or eliminate eating out and shop at a grocery store that does not break your budget, okay? That is going to be one of the quickest ways for you to, quote, unquote, find more money every single month. Number five, spend smarter. Spend smarter. This is very, very simple, okay? Try to prioritize, not try, Lord, forgive me for being soft, prioritize Spending your money on things that appreciate and not on things that depreciate. A new iPhone is not an appreciating asset. A big screen television is not an appreciating asset. AirPods are not an appreciating asset. Listen, your car is not an appreciating asset. It is a depreciating liability. You're going to risk your financial future so you can flex on somebody? You better drive that beater and get out of debt. I mean, you may or may not know this, but I own a 2003, let me say it again, 2003, that means it's 20 years old if we can't do quick math, 2003 Hummer H2. Okay, it's got 140,000 miles on it. Last year I was leaving Water Place, the transmission just died out of nowhere. Had to drive it all the way home in second gear. And when we got home, I had to decide what we're going to do. Now, we didn't have the money at the time to do anything. We didn't. Okay, this is the hard part about making wise decisions. We didn't have the money to do anything. And when I say we didn't have the money, I'm not saying that I don't make enough money. I'm saying that I had dollars that were already assigned to other places. So I didn't have any dollars to reallocate to doing anything with the vehicle at the time. And so we've been a one-car family from last July up until two Mondays ago. I called my dad. I called my Uncle Dan. I said, what do you think I should do? Should I put, and I'm going to say the number. You're going to choke on it a little bit, a $4,000 transmission into a 20-year-old vehicle? Or should I go out and get a car note? And we talked through all the pros and cons of, you know, a new car and how long it would last and this, that, and the other. But here's what we came down to between my dad and my Uncle Dan. We came down to the fact that that four grand is going to give me another three to five years out of this summer. But that's only 10 months of any car note that I'll probably get. So why would I lock myself into $400 a month for five years when I can get three to five years out of $4,000 one time? Spend smarter. Now, I can tell you right now, years ago, I probably would have got that car note. But like, man, I've been working hard. I drove this Hummer. 
I drove this Hummer for the last eight years. It's 20 years old. Man, let me just go on pick up this little car note real quick. We can afford it. I probably would have done that just two years ago. But the more educated you get and the more you understand why it matters to invest your money in things that grow in value over time versus things that lose. You realize you buy a brand new car, when you drive it off the lot, you've lost 15%. Minimum. When it leaves the lot, it doesn't even have the resale value of what you paid for. You can drive it and park it on the corner and drive it back into the driveway and you're going to lose money. So the smarter we get about how we spend, the better position we're going to put ourselves in. Last one, kill debt and credit cards. Kill them, murk them, murder them. Murder was the case that they gave me. Kill them, okay? Kill them all. Kill them all. Why? Let me, let, me, let me say this. Debt is not normal. Debt is not normal. Debt is not normal. Debt is not normal. We've been taught that debt is normal. Debt is not normal. And because we've been taught that debt is normal, then we think debt is necessary. Debt is not normal. Now, I know there are schools of thought on good debt and bad debt, and I understand that. I understand that. But until you have your financial situation under control, you don't have good debt and bad debt. Until you have your financial situation under control, until you have your spending under control, until you're living within your means, until you're not spending 100% of what you make, until you're building up some savings for the future, all your debt is bad debt. There's no good debt or bad debt for you. Not for anybody who doesn't have their stuff together. Now, if you got your stuff together, then we can talk about good debt versus bad debt. But if you are in a place where you live in fear from living paycheck to paycheck, then all debt is bad debt. Debt is not normal. Debt is not normal. But it was normalized for us by others. It was normalized for us. But what does the Bible say about debt? Romans 13 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. My favorite translation actually says, owe no one anything except to love them. Debt is not normal. But it's been so normalized that we think it's necessary. But did you know before 1950, people didn't really get money loaned to them for much of anything? And except for the predatory practices of sharecropping and things like it, people were limited on what they could buy with credit. And then in 1950, write it down, 1950 is when the credit card was introduced. And everything changed. Bankers started a second grade experiment where they ask the question, what if we could loan people money not to buy what they need, but to buy whatever they want? And inside of just a few generations, guys, inside of a few generations, the household debt of U.S. citizens went from virtually zero to $14 trillion. I wanted you to see what it looked like. Look at that. Look at all those zeros. That is what the collective household debt of people in the U.S. is. From virtually zero 70 or so years ago. Debt is not normal. And so if debt is not normal, how do we get out of it? What do we do? First, we create a debt snowball. We create a debt snowball. What's a debt snowball? It is where, first of all, you look at all your debts. Okay, you got to look at them in the face. And then you rank them, 
from the smallest to the largest. And then you pay off the smallest debt while paying the minimum payments on all the debts. And then once you pay off the smallest debt, you take all of that money that was dedicated to paying off that smallest debt and you put it on the next largest debt while continuing to pay the minimum on all your other debts. Now, you may think to yourself, well, why not start with the one with the highest interest rate? Well, it's psychology. It's psychology. You see, if you start with the one with the highest interest rate and you get about six months into it and you haven't made a dent in it, you're going to get discouraged and you might give up. Happens all the time. Science. That's how the human brain works. We have a reward system. We need quick wins. And so if you create a debt snowball by starting with the smallest one and paying that one off first and then moving on to the next and on to the next and on to the next, then you put yourself in a position to get quick wins and get in a habit of eliminating debt. Okay. Number two, do not use credit cards for discretionary spending. Don't use credit cards for discretionary spending. What about my points and my miles, pastor? What about your financial future? Do not use credit cards for discretionary spending. Number three, if you're writing these down, and I hope you are because your memory is not as good as mine, and I forget things all the time. I'm just saying I have to get up and, like, talk from memory every single week. So I just, I doubt that you're remembering all this, so please write it down. Number three, don't carry a balance on your credit cards, no matter what you do. Don't carry a balance on your credit cards because now not only have you borrowed money that's not yours, but now you're going to pay more money for, for money that wasn't yours in the first place. And you end up in a hole. Don't carry a balance. And if you can't have a credit card without carrying a balance, then you don't need to have credit cards. Just don't have them. They weren't normal. They weren't normal until they were normal. So don't have them. Because all they're doing is putting you in danger. So don't have them. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. If you just do these six things, just these six things, just the, listen, if you just do number one, your financial future is going to be vastly different. Everything can change. Everything can change. But if you do these six things, everything will undoubtedly change for you. Because here's the reality. Jesus came. This came from my wife in a text message. I'm going to give credit where credit is due. She texted me after the sermon. And she said, Jesus came to cancel all our debts, and then we go put ourselves right back under debt. He came to cancel all our debts. And for those of us who are not followers of the way of Jesus, that is the good news of the gospel. Now, our beliefs may be different, but our situations and circumstances don't vary that much from those who say they're Christians and those who are not, which itself is a shame. But the reality is we have a promise that when Jesus came and died for our sin, he died to relieve us. He died to free us. He died to release us. And then we go and put ourselves back in bondage. But it doesn't have to be that way. Today... We can accept the eternal life that Jesus offers in his life, death, and resurrection. And, listen, and we can step into the abundant life that God has for us. How do we do that in the context of this message? We slow spending, start saving, and eliminate debt. It's that simple. Slow spending, start saving, and eliminate debt. Eliminate debt. Now, if you're looking at that and you're saying, man, I don't even know where to start. Here's what I would tell you to do. Number one, come back next week and continue to learn. 
Continue to learn and let us help you and walk with you. Register for the financial conference and get down into the details, into the nitty-gritty so that you can find this freedom that God offers. Because the reality is, if you don't, what are you going to do? You're going to continue to do what everybody does, spend more than you make and continue the cycle of being trapped in financial positions that could ultimately lead to ruin. And that is not God's best for you. You know, I envision this world, I keep praying about it, I envision this world where God's people are not only vertically right with the Father, but horizontally an example to the watching world of what human flourishing actually looks like. And my hope that is that today, in this first part of the formula, save all you can, that we would take it, we would believe it, and we would alter our lives accordingly to the glory of God and for the good of all people. Amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, oh, amen, you can do that. Yeah, amen. amen. Father, we thank you now uh, for your word and pray that you would apply it swiftly to our hearts that we might be resolutely transformed. And that we would take these principles and apply them to our lives so that we could find the abundant life and the flourishing that you have for us in Jesus' name.